You're listening to Everyday Humanity. everybody. Welcome back to Everyday Humanity. We are so glad that you are here with us again this week. I am Beth. I'm one of the hosts on the show, and I am joined this week by our other two hosts, Regina and Dennis. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Welcome back. I'm so excited to be here. I just Did you miss me last week? That's really what I want to know. We missed you. Yeah. Did you have to say that? I didn't even pay you. I, I did say it. It was okay. just, it naturally came out because it was true. Yes, thank you. I'm thank sorry. You. Were you gone last week? Oh, thanks. This this is what happens around here. It's only Tuesday that we're recording he this too. He missed you too, De- Beth. Thank you, Regina. Don't listen to Dennis. No, we knocked it out of the don't. park, Regina. <laughs> we did. That's right. Air high five. <gasps> Good work, team. Good work. Yes. This week. Yay. I'm okay. excited to have Seth McLaughlin joining us today. Yeah. Hi, Seth. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Look alive. Look alive. I know. I'll get used to this. <laughs> it, it is awkward. For you guys, for listeners out there, we're in a room, a smallish room, and but we look very professional because we have an amazing production manager on staff as well. Hi, Matthew. Mm-hmm. I know you're listening to us from the other room. There you go. And uh, we are very professional around here because we have some microphones that are kind of covering our faces, but you know, <laughs> it's intimate. That's the word. Yes. So that's what we have going on. Yeah. Superficial. Yes, yes, nice. yes. So, Seth, thank you for joining us. I know it's a little yeah. awkward at first, but I'm telling you by the end of this, it's going to be I'm like, sure it'll be great. Know. Yeah. So, will you please tell our listeners just a little bit about your backstory and what brought you to Mel Trotter and just kind of who you are? That's a broad question. I'll do my best. Uh, <laughs> I grew up, so beginning, grew up in Kentwood, um, went to Kentwood Community Church back in, even before it's, if anybody's Grand Rapids based, they know before it was even in the building it is now. So it was like in the old, uh, what is now like a Kentwood Public School administration building. Um, and, you know, a lot of my upbringing was that, just kind of the, the typical evangelical kind of experience. And um, and so that was so much of, of kind of who I was and did the typical West Michigan thing, went to Calvin and uh, didn't know what else to do, so I got a business degree, and um, you know, kind of all the the typical things you do as um, you know the white male in Kentwood um, space. And so, um, and then my life started getting interesting really when I met my wife, and her um, began to be infected by her craziness. And um, she had always wanted to do uh, medical missions, so always wanted to live in, in specifically wanted to do third world Latin American mission. Um, she had heard some doctors from the Luke Society come talk to her church when she was in seventh grade and turned to her parents and said, that's what I'm going to go do. And so when I met her in college, uh, pretty quickly, she was like, this is what I'm going to go do. You can get on board with this or not. And I was like, well, I guess I'm getting on board with this. So (laughs) I had to go figure out what to do with myself that was going to fit within that trajectory. And uh, so I moved, when we moved to Atlanta, that's where she went to grad school. And I had no idea what I was going to do. And so I was thinking, oh, I'll just go do work for a little bit, maybe get a business degree, do something in, uh, or, you know, an MBA, do something in microloaning, microfinance, whatever. And um, we ended up living in, and I didn't know this at the time, but the east side of Atlanta. And if you are in the economic development, community development space, uh, the east corridor of, of downtown Atlanta is the like center of of progressive and very interesting and effective ways to do um, in-town 
and urban community development. Is that Buckhead? It's not. So Buckhead's oh. the nice, like fancy, um, the nice fancy kind of uh, club kind of place. Okay. So the where this was. So um, if you look up East Lake um, de- neighborhood development, yeah. East Lake Country Club back in the day was like the main place where like a lot of the Coke executives and all that would play golf, like way back in the 20s and 30s. Um, by the 80s, police wouldn't go to East Lake Country Club area, oh. and because it was that, it was essentially a war zone, and um, and now it is one of the most interesting and eclectic places because of just very progressive and specific kind of community development awesome. projects, and it has one of the best high schools now in the city. Is there? There's a like multi-year waiting list that you can only get in through lottery, wow. right there in East Lake, and that was. And it's all neighborhood based, so um, it's just it's an incredible story of just kind of how to go move into a space, live in that space, be a part of transformation in that space, and so um, yeah, it's incredible. There's and there's multiple examples of of that, and so that just that kind of vision began to infect my understanding of what life looked like, what ministry looked like, because it was the people that were doing that well. It wasn't just oh, I go to this job. It was, I'm going to go buy a house in this neighborhood where people are, think I'm insane to go buy this house, and we're going to live there, and this is going to be our neighborhood, and we're going to do this. Um, and so for, for me, for our family, that just became kind of our sense of calling in life is it's not, ministry isn't a, a little nine-to-five kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, so I eventually went to seminary and was a pastor on the east side of Atlanta there for about five years, so working a lot with both, um, obviously, pastoring, but then we did a lot with uh, refugees. There's a huge refugee population on that side of the of the city as well. Um, Clarkston, where we were pretty close to, is outside of Brooklyn, I think, uh, is the most diverse place in the country um, wow. with, with the amount of uh, people groups and languages that are spoken there. So, yeah, it was just a, this incredible incubator that I just kind of stumbled into an accident for how to how to do different types of ministry. And so um, spent five years there working, and then we moved to northern Honduras and spent... Like you do. Like you do. Um, (laughs) And yeah, and moved to La Ceiba, Honduras. And um, because we always had that, we always knew that's where we were going to do that someday was go to to do something that was um, where we could start something new Mm -hmm. and and, and contribute to the development of something. And so... Um, we spent, our family spent about six years, five and a half years in northern Honduras, and um, I started a Bible school, Bible, they would call it a seminary, I wouldn't call it a seminary, but it was a Bible school where we trained pastors with uh, seventh grade education, it was kind of the average ed- education, so a lot of it, our, our now director, who was our, the first person we hired to come in, we spent uh, a lot of time just doing grammar. Um, and reading and these things that so that was interesting for me as you know this master's degree high educated to be like all right we're gonna start seminary here's a noun and here's a verb and um and how do you got a noun or a verb yeah that's a good question yes Yes. there you go that's a whole other podcast yes it is but it's it's but it's also fun those things where you just you take for granted these things about these basic assumptions and so when we're sitting here in my mind thinking, how do we teach people to read the Bible well mm. and understand the Bible well? If you don't know the difference, what an adjective is or right. a verb is, how do we then teach them 
hire things, right? So we literally had to start from almost scratch on the education side of things and ask, how I do we I never would have thought about that, but uh-huh. that's really important. Like if you don't understand yeah. an adjective and you're reading scripture, uh-huh. wow. Well, especially around here, right? Where we all often yes. say, Jesus said. Mm-hmm. So that's an action, right? And that right. sort of you know, assumes that when Jesus says something, somebody on the other side, the recipient of that word will do something. Mm-hmm. So to your point, yeah, it didn't even, it doesn't dawn on us, right? Cause we just read it and we understand that, but you were starting from a very sort yes. of initial layer of like, okay, we're going to start here before we dive into the actual theology of the mm-hmm. thing. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we really had to, and that was humbling because you think like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to go for a master's degree and we'll like, we'll slow this down a little bit. And then after the first <laughs> year or so realizing, oh, we're not even in the neighborhood of what, what that means to slow down, um, was, you know, it's, it's just that moment of realizing, I don't really know what I'm doing, and um, which is great. But then our, our story in Honduras, actually, which is, I think, very important for now, a lot of the work that I do and it was shaping was, um, we went down there with the assumption, we're going to go spend the next, you know, 20, 30 years as career missionaries, mm-hmm. This is our life, um, and we kind of had that that timeline in our heads because we were told this is how long it takes to work yourselves out of jobs. Subtext being, this is how long it's going to take for you to find a Honduran that can do this like you will do it. So twenty, thirty wow. years, right? Um, wow. And and that's that's kind of has been normative, at least from what we can see in in my experience. That's that's a lot of that happens where. Everybody will say, oh, I'm here to work myself out of job. I'm here to empower um, people to make this their own. And then that you just don't see that happening. Um, and so we pretty quickly were disabused of that, I would say, very racist kind of cultural elitist uh, mentality and realized we are within a year or so, we had found people that we knew were better at this than we were. They were going to do it differently, but better. Mm-hmm. And and so... Um, so really quickly turned from, oh, we're starting these things and it's my job to run this and do all of this to I'm empowering others. Mm-hmm. And then even more shocking for us was realizing somewhere along the line that we were actually becoming a problem because mm-hmm. our presence as founders of some of these things was was leading to a hindrance of these things being able to move forward as a product of Honduras, not a product of my mind. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that was the system shock because you you build you know you know how you build a career you're like oh, i'm going to go do this thing and this is I, and there, so there was never a what next within the mission world it was always this is it and so to to you know a few years ago then when we realized we have to like leave la Ceiba for this to flourish this baby that we started to flourish um it was that disorienting kind of moment of okay now what and um and so that's ultimately what long long kind of road led me to to what I do now, which was, I only really had two skill sets, which was um, well, I don't know about uh, that, okay. being a pastor, which uh, nothing against being a pastor, but I just, I was not ready to dive back into full-time ministry. And then the other, only other thing I knew how to do was, was raise money. And so, um, so that's what I get to do now. I and, love this story. And I'll tell you my two quick takeaways before I promise I'm not going to say anything else because other people need to speak around here. So I've been told, um, here's the thing. I heard two things. Different can mean better. And also that Renee is totally in charge of this whole like thing you had going on. Hi, Renee. I know we yes. haven't met yet, but the, uh-huh. the, the wife in this equation, you guys, this is, that was my takeaway personally just where I'm coming from is, you know what? 
Yeah. Good job. I, I had a similar takeaway on that piece of the story. <laughs> where I was like, you know, your wife is Renee, my wife is Kelly, and I think the common bond is that the ladies are telling us what to do. That's all there is to oh. it. Right, Regina? Yeah. It's well, a thing about vision. Yes. It's, it's a thing about vision. <laughs> you all appreciate this in the church, too, because, again, my... I've reverend attached to my name. So we would meet people and they'd be like, Oh, look at you. You're like, you know, you're dragging your family to Honduras and you know, cause it's like, I'm the pastor right. or whatever. And the assumption was I was the leader of this. And I was the first one to be like, Oh no, no, no. I'm along for the ride. Yeah. I just found a place to fit yes. in this, in this story, uh, as best I could. Love but, that. um, her, I mean, yeah, we've, we're glossing over her cause it's, you know, I'm sitting here talking about her, her passion for, um, community health and, wellness for people and the way that they did the the places they went uh with to do medicine uh is insane so that's and that's a whole other side of things with the amount of like communities you had to go into where you had to roll all your windows down to so that the teenagers with ak-47s would let you come in and wow. all that is cool. yeah that's uh, that's a whole other story so it's right. just, anyway it's just interesting because again i've this MDiv attached to my name, so everybody in the church and mission world just like assumes it was all yeah, me dragging my family to, to okay. Northern Honduras. I opposite. think my other my other takeaway was, um, first of all, the humility on the part of you and Renee to mm-hmm. understand that while you may have birthed this, um, for it to thrive, you needed to step aside and let the actual people that, for lack of a better term, you went to help that those very folks that you went to help were the best people to move forward and to create and to grow. And when I think about those that we serve at Mel Trotter, it's not that different, right? I think that um, for decades and decades, there's been this approach to the people that are experiencing homelessness or addiction or, or whatever that we, we sort of kind of ride in and say, here's what you do. And I think what we're finding at Mel Trotter in this 121-year experiment so far is that when we do what you said, when we empower those we're trying to serve, actually they become people that don't sit there and wait for someone to give them something or tell them what to do. They actually start dreaming the dreams that God has for their life, and they start taking steps. And we become sort of a coach at some point. And then after becoming a coach, we become cheerleaders. And then we become fans because we watch them fly, right? And I think that's so profound. And I, I, I really believe that God, in part, took you guys through that experiment because he knew, or that experience, because he knew that you'd eventually be a part of this ministry. Yeah, probably. And it's what I love about that concept. And this is, I think, the challenge for us at Maltrotter as we continue to roll out forward-thinking solutions to homelessness is how do we do asset-based community development in a way that that speaks to our guests? Because um, that's the challenge for us from resource, from privilege, is it's very difficult sometimes to assess what is existing in a place that, that from the outside looking in seems like only need. And, and really that's what we found was our, the, the, in some ways, the limitations we were putting on our Honduran leaders was that because they, in their community and from their perspective, knew where to find solutions to things, knew how to come up with um, resources and assets and, and opportunities in a way that we didn't. 
And because of our outside perspective, because of our more privileged perspective, we just kept focusing on what was lacking rather than, than what was existing and what was possible. And, and that wasn't like intentional. That was just our instinct to mm-hmm. see because it's like when you, when you come from privilege, it's just very hard to, to start over mm-hmm. and not assume that, oh, we're, we're missing these 19 things and focus on the, the two things that are, that are there. Right. And, and so that was a lot of that was getting out of that, that sense of lack and focusing more on what is and, wh- and how do we build on what is. Which, if you think about it, is really what Jesus demonstrated, right? Mm-hmm. And he would, you know, to everybody with whom he was in fellowship, and, and he would say, okay, we're not going to focus on the what nots, the have nots. Mm-hmm. I'm here to show you who you are in me mm-hmm. and what ability you have through those spiritual giftings I've given you. Mm-hmm. So I, I love everything about this, and we're sort of um, tap dancing a little bit around the idea of toxic charity, right? Um, and you mentioned that when we first uh, sat down together that you didn't even know who Bob Lupton was. And then there he was being like in your backyard, all right, like became essentially neighbors. And so can you talk a little bit to our listeners about that idea of toxic charity? I mean, we are, you know, fundraisers at heart as well. And so we're always mm-hmm. kind of talking this and um, how can we sort of educate people that this is a very much a bi-directional relationship. Mm-hmm. This is not a one way, please only give us money. We're going to solve the problem. Yeah. That's not it at all. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, to- for those of you that don't know, toxic charity the, is the idea that, um, and there's a couple other monikers for it. I think the more in the mission world, the one that's most commonly used is when helping hurts mm-hmm. is the book mm-hmm. that was yep. developed out of the Chalmers center in, um, in Tennessee. And they, um, the, the concept is basically, um, it is possible to, to try to be doing good, whether through, through action, through resource, through money, and in that process, actually hurting the people you're trying to help. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, Bob Lupton, who's East Atlanta, is uh, famous for that concept of toxic charity is his, the moniker he uses. And the idea being um, our solutions as, as overly educated, kind of privileged people is, uh, is, tends to be um, a very resource-based, very monetary-based kind of solution. And... And oftentimes the actions that we do in service are not so much about helping others, but about what makes us feel like we have helped others. And, um, and so it's more me centric than other centric. And so the really the challenge and the, I think the, we all get this money is not the answer. Throwing more money at something is not the answer. Um, and I mean, Honduras, our experience in Honduras is a, classic example of that there there have been billions upon billions of dollars both in u.s aid and in um, philanthropic giving invested in honduras and it, it is it is both less christian and less safe now than it was 20 years ago and so to what end is mm-hmm. is the billions upon billions of dollars invested in that um because it was done in a way that was just like well if we we build this giant building or if we, if we build this other thing or if we invest, you know, just throw money at this, it's just rather than the long-term systemic kind of solution building that goes from um, how do we empower versus throw resources at. And, yeah. and so it's that damage that just creates this dependency cycle. And that's really what we saw in Honduras all the time. And you see that in, in a lot of um, struggling places is rather than, than focus on what is and empower what is, it's, mm-hmm. it yeah. creates dependency in a way that's... And I want, I want Gina to jump in here in a minute, but um, being the historian of this group for Mel Trotter, uh, 
something before you guys happened, before you guys uh, came to Maltrotter. So Bob Lupton was our Season of Hope speaker one year. And he came in and he really challenged us and our entire community to think through this lens of toxic charity. Well, Mel Trotter at that time for a couple of decades had had a food pantry and the food pantry was open once a week Mm -hmm. and it was literally serving like a thousand people every time it was open. Yeah. And we started asking questions, looking through Bob Lupkin's lens of toxic charity. And we actually did a survey and we had 900 people that were using our food pantry respond to the survey. And one of the questions was, if the Mel Trotter food pantry was not here next week, would you be able to get food? Would you have enough food? And 95% said, yeah, we'd be fine. We'd be fine. And so then looking through Slims of Talk of Charity, you go, wait a minute. Am I bringing something to bear that isn't necessary? And am I actually doing the opposite of empowering people? Mm-hmm. I'm actually keeping people dependent on something that by their own admission they don't need. And then you ask, well, then why am I doing it? And if you really dig deep and do some soul searching as an organization and individual, you're doing it because of two things. It makes you feel good Mm -hmm. and it makes donors feel good. And we made a really, really tough decision to say, um, if there are enough food pantries in town that ours isn't necessary, and if the people that we serve are saying they don't really need us, then we're going to no longer have a food pantry and we'll put those resources into things that are actually needed. Um, you know, and that came right from that idea of toxic charity, but that's a really risky thing to do. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the right, the right things usually are, right? Yes. Yes. And well, and I think that's another thing we've, the, the challenge with, with true kind of asset-based community development or, or doing ministry in a way that's not toxic is it's out of your control. It's way less controllable. And that's the other thing I think that we have found is the the instinct to do it a certain way is, is more of a control-based thing because it's like, if I'm in charge of this money, if I'm in charge of this process, then I feel like I can wrap my head around it. Um, if I am empowering people who might have less education than me, might have less sophistication than me, might have less um, uh, Dave Ramsey in their life than me. It's it's not, um, you know, it's it gets scarier and it gets less controllable, mm-hmm. and and that's the the danger. Of, but even though that's the right way to do it, it's more risky and it's more um, it's more scary. And I I would say our our work in Honduras has been. Uh, example of that, where the Bible Institute's thriving, the clinics that we've passed off are really struggling, in part because we just have the wrong, we had the wrong leader in charge of that, having nothing to do with him being a Honduran, it was just not a good, the right fit, right, it was just a bad, but your tendency is to be like, well, if we had just kept that, you know, kept North Americans running that, it would have been fine, and, and maybe, maybe not, who knows, but it's, that failure wasn't because of you know, anything systemically Honduran, that failure was just the wrong person in the wrong seat, which mm-hmm. happens all the time. Mm-hmm. But but it's it feels scary, right, to let go of that and to be like, this is going to look different. This is not in my control anymore. Mm-hmm. This might feel, uh, yeah, this might feel unmanageable, but, but that's okay. Yeah. Regina, when you hear all this, what, yeah, you're getting ready to say, I, I'm curious the whole time I've been looking at you going, okay, what is, how does this land for you? Right? Yeah. I mean, so you guys know, I work with our 18 to 24 year old population. And, um, I mean, I, it just automatically, my mind just went to, um, Seth and I, Seth introduced me to a teacher, um, in the Mullen Christian 
public school district, um, some middle schoolers, and they had, so Beth, you had went and spoke um, some weeks prior and planted a seed talking about toxic charity mm -hmm. and got them thinking about like, okay, how, what can we do from our circle of influence to um, give back um, and not in a toxic way? Mm -hmm. um, Right. And so uh, talking through some things with them, we were able to uh, they were able to put together a project where they 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 built um, cards, words of encouragement, but then also birthday cards for um, and then they stuck, they stuck a little sucker in the birthday cards um, for our guests. Um, and we pass those cards out to guests when they're having a bad day, a hard time. And they're handmade cards from um, middle schoolers. Knowing that someone out there is praying for you that you don't even know, um, mm -hmm. you know, prayer is power. And God's word says when two and more people, two or more people touch an agreement, I mean, his will will be done. And so knowing that someone is out there praying for you, mm -hmm. a, 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 a child, you know, it's, it's huge. And we have so many guests that um, don't even... They, they kind of get depressed when it's their birthday. Mm. It's mm -hmm. a remind, you know, our birthdays is almost like New Year, New Year's Eve when a lot of people are making those New Year's resolutions and all of that. That's always my birthday for me. I don't know about you guys, but it's a it's a reflection of last year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our guests, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm here. This represents rock bottom for me. But to get a birthday card, to acknowledge your birthday, to have some of those words of encouragement and, you know, it's just a pick-me-up that's been awesome um, that I've been able to see our guests experience. And I just love that. And that's a, a unique idea um, that's equally impactful mm -hmm. um, as, a, as a check, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it just makes me think about what can people think through of just their, their own circle of influence of what they can do. Um, we all have influence. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, it, and maybe it's not that, you know, you can write a hundred thousand dollar check, but maybe it's that, you know, you are an encourager, mm -hmm. um, and you want to come and encourage some, you know, some people who might need some, some encouragement and speak mm -hmm. life into them and life into their purpose. Um, we all have gifts. But creating a space to dare to dream and to brag about yourself, that's that's huge. You know, we're kind of taught to to not really um, brag about ourselves because that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's bad. Yeah. But bragging about yourself, thinking about what are those gifts that you have creates an opportunity for you to give back in a unique way. And I think that's kind of, you know, some of the things that you've been doing um, in your role and influencing other people to do as you've connected with them and stuff like that. I think that's awesome. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I love that. Thank oh. you, Regina. That's amazing. Oh. So, Seth, are you still involved with folks in Honduras? I think I know this answer, but I'd like to talk a little bit more through that. Yeah. Your so, I mean, we, we still are connected with the, the people that we've come to, um, you know, that we've worked with and we've helped. And, and um, we were actually pre-pandemic. I was supposed to go down and do a teach an intensive I can't remember systematic theology or something um, to, that to support. Fun. <laughs> it I sounded like it. fun to me, but uh, <laughs> other yeah. people might not find it so it's fun. But, this is good. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and you know, it's. I mean, 
yeah, systematic theology in Spanish is always fun. But uh, we, <laughs> yes, yeah, so anyway, to answer your question, yes. And so uh, the leading question is, yes, we are still very much involved in Honduras. We've, um, you know, without getting too much in the weeds, we continue, we have we actually have some friends of ours who are currently living with us, not, not in our house anymore, but um, very close to us. And we're in our house for quite a while this summer uh, who fled violence in Honduras. And this is just an unfortunate reality for so many people in that, um, in that country um, because of uh, the gang influence and the drug money influence in, in that country. It's, uh, it, there really is no rule of law of, I think, less than 1% of murders are ever prosecuted. Um, wow. And so wow. it's... Um, and of those, it's pretty cheap to buy your way out. And, and so, um, so yeah, so our, our head nurse and her two girls f- literally fled with what a backpack on the country because they were receiving death threats for being a witness to her husband's murder. And, um, and now her, the rest of her family are also receiving threats, like extortion threats, because they're trying to recoup the money. The gangs are trying to recoup the money they lost in buying the assassin's ways out of jail and so um so yeah yeah so hearing that story and i I heard you um reference this quite a few times as you spoke so eloquently about it right of a place of privilege and i think when our listeners hear this oftentimes we don't mean to right but we take certain life experiences for granted the things Mm -hmm. that we have every day versus the things that we are not going through Mm -hmm. i.e what seth just spoke about and today we had um our internal same page slash chapel-ish meeting together. And Seth opened us up in prayer. And one of the things that he spoke about was what you just heard him say and related it um, very well to the guests that we serve. How so many of them come into our mission, come into a situation with nothing. They are also fleeing. They are fleeing a situation. They are um, entering into a circumstance that they have never been in before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, roughly half of the guests that we serve are first-time uh, experiencers of homelessness. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure this is very much a first-time experience for your friend. I mean, mm-hmm. she has never gone through this, and her children. And so, the mm-hmm. what you shared, you said the word terror this mm-hmm. morning. They they were living and fleeing in a state of terror. So. As we continue to serve those at Mel Trotter Ministries, I think it really helps me specifically to remember that at the forefront that these folks are scared. They are scared of the unknown. They are scared of what they are leaving behind. They are scared of what their lives may or may not look like on the other side of this experience. Yeah, Yeah, and I I think that's so well said, Beth. And I think, you know, um, as human beings, we tend to look at other people through our lens, our experiential lens, which, which yeah. Beth, I think is part of what you were saying. And we tend to forget that there are experiences that people go through that we have never gone through, mm-hmm. right? So so we th- see things through this lens and we make judgments, right? Yep. So people fleeing Honduras to come to the United States, well, you know, we can come up with all sorts of values and feelings and beliefs about that sort of thing. And then sadly in our culture currently, we then politicize those beliefs on one side or another. And what we often fail to, to think about is put yourself in the position of a mother whose husband has been murdered. So now you're a single mother and you're in a country where murders don't get prosecuted, where the gangs and lawlessness rule and you are getting death threats. And what is your instinct as a mother? Your instinct as a mother is to do 
anything you can to protect your children. And you realize the only way to protect your children is to stuff what you can in a backpack and try and go to a place that is safe, a place where you don't have to worry about all these things that are happening, right? The United States. And, um, and it just really, you know, one thing we'll never do on this podcast or as a ministry is, is get political, but what we will always do is we'll always speak God's truth. And, you know, one of the things we're doing in our staff chapels is we're looking at the words that Jesus said. And one of the things Jesus said was, welcome the stranger. Mm-hmm. And when you welcome the stranger, you're welcoming me. Well, if that stranger is a mom who saw her husband murdered and is trying to protect her child, I think Jesus says, welcome, welcome, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, wow, man, Seth, you are like, no wonder there's that MDiv dude. You're preaching. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I, you know, I think you guys on that note, we should wrap up and just thank you for everything that you imparted. Uh, I, sure. I love the part where you started and you said, I'm not that interesting talking about humility. I'm like, Seth, you kind of are. <laughs> yeah. you, you have a lot of worldly experiences from which to draw. Yeah. And so we just thank you for being on here. Sure. And I'm going to tell all of our listeners uh, in my way that we will see you next week. And I'm going to ask you to let them know that we will see them next week in Spanish. Ooh. Okay, entonces, ya, yeah. entonces vamos a vernos eh, la semana siguiente y gracias por tu tiempo y por escucharnos hoy en día. Gracias. Thank you guys for mm-hmm. listening. How do you know he said what you wanted him to say? I trust him implicitly. <laughs> All right, thank you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you. <laughs>